I've been coding today. Oh, yeah? How's that been going for you? It's pretty well. It's that thing I can't do on an iPad. I, uh, I've actually been Squarespace editing today, something I haven't done in a long time. Another one of those unmanageable tasks on an iPad, so I'm, I'm actually right with you. So you haven't fully transitioned to iPad only then? Well, um... Or is that just a Vatici thing? No, no, I, <laughs> I only used an iPad for about a year, and then at the very end of 2016, I ended up getting a MacBook Pro with a touch bar, right when that kind of came out. Mostly because of video and audio editing, but it also is very helpful when I, on the rare occasion that I need to edit a website, need to edit a website. But yeah, kind of a bummer, especially with a product like Squarespace, you would think that because they're so customer friendly they figure out a way to have their editable tools on the ipad or ios as a whole but no dice it's interesting because i i feel like squarespace is one of those companies that would have an app for this right that's how they strike me they kind of have a suite of apps i'm not sure exactly how often they get updated the one that i know works well is their blogging uh app but the rest of them are uh, I think just like statistics and that sort of thing but as far as getting into the back end and managing things no way it's it's not even possible on yeah. an iPad. It's not it's not just challenging. Their entire interface is broken. <laughs> well, that's good to know because I tend to recommend Squarespace to a few people. Yeah, and it's primarily in cases where I'm not going to build it for them, and they want something that's easy to manage and easy to control. And that's where I tend to send people is Squarespace. But I can't say that I run into anybody that's like dying to do this from an iPad. Everybody's typically got uh, a laptop of some sort that they're using. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the same thing for me. I actually I've just been trying to figure out what it looks like to have a singular presence online, like a a website that works for me. What's yours again? What's your domain? Uh, JoeBulig.com. Yeah, .com. But I (laughs) see I'm not in a singular place either because I've been doing this whole guild thing, too. So it's making it complicated but that's that's linked from your from your website right yeah the two the two are very closely like they're interlinked heavily so yeah it's easy to get back and forth between them gotcha yeah and so that's kind of the same thing for me i have a bunch of things all over the internet spread around and i went ahead and bought kaufman.co uh at some point last year and i've just been trying to figure out what to do with that i was using a wordpress build and man i'm just not a i'm just not a back-end kind of person i start falling asleep as soon as i really have to deal with the back-end for more than a few minutes and i was finding that um, I was sort of having all of these little, this list of, oh, I should add this. Oh, I should add that. Oh, I should add this other thing. And none of it was happening because I just really didn't like the experience as a whole. So I went ahead and switched it over to Squarespace yesterday. And in in the course of 12 hours, I finished the entirety of the site, which was was really only meant to be a little portal outward. So most of the links are even outbound, but it was great. I'm happy to have that done and I'm happy to to use a computer for just a few minutes to do it. I mean, hey, we're we're recording this on, on a MacBook Pro. That's another one of those things that I can't do on an iPad as of right now. Not easily, at least. Yeah, I went to... So last year I went to MacStock. Have have you heard of this magical little conference that happens over in Illinois? Oh, it's a conference. Fun. I went there last year and there was a a talk about iOS mobile podcasting, I think is what they entitled it. Mm -hmm. And they had figured out a way using certain tools to podcast using iPads. And that's what they did. They did all the recording on it. I couldn't tell you any of the apps or how they did any of it because it made zero sense to me at the time. But it is possible. I know that. The The question is, is it worth it? Right. And I think that there's a there's a great article off, off the link to it from Jason Snell at Six Colors. And uh, he, he did a pretty good deep dive into podcasting and podcast editing. And that was sort of his conclusion as well was, yeah, it's possible, but it's definitely not something that I'll be doing anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like like my keyboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I try to keep a, a pretty minimal setup, and I think you probably have to have a decent chunk of external hardware to make it work on the iPad. And you know how these things go. You really don't want to end up at the end of a couple hours of recording with um, a bad audio file or or no audio file or right. any of that kind of stuff. So, hey, it's it's good to keep a MacBook Pro around for a few reasons. I actually had a really good conversation, a long conversation on Twitter with Matt Birchler. He has a, a website called Birch Tree, and he, he does some really great Apple blogging. And then Corey Westerhold, who uh, he's the designer of New Bible, which is a, an amazing Bible app. Oh, yeah. I love this thing. I use it all the time. He works as a product designer at Facebook. And then Bradley Chambers. And we were all just sort of talking about what it looks like to all be really in love with the iPad and iOS and all recognize that it's not necessarily something that you can make as your primary or sole computing device. This is something that more and more people are running into. And what Corey's point was um, throughout the conversation was, well, if they've really doubled down on the idea of iOS 11 being a professional operating system, and the iPad Pro being more professional than ever, then where are the first-party apps from them to show that truth? Where is their logic? Where is their Final Cut Pro? Uh, where are these programs that really allow you to see from Apple that they're saying this is a this is a platform to commit to? And that that's a good point. I would love to see Logic and Final Cut both on the iPhone or iPad, but I'm not holding my breath because I don't think that's coming yeah. anytime soon. I wouldn't get too excited about those coming out anytime soon, but that's a good point. They haven't they haven't stepped up to the plate. I mean, even in their live stream, they had the the demo of the augmented reality, which I thought was very impressive. But I, I really wanted I really want to see things like that from Apple themselves. They tend to bring in these other companies that demonstrate a lot of the the special power features that come with these tools. And I understand what they're doing. It's a it's a great way to generate some buzz about some things and show what other people are able to do with their products. But if it's going to be business class, you really got to step up and make it possible to do some very basic things or even some power things easily. And easily, I mean, one of the things that I tend to get hung up on is I just use the keyboard too much. <laughs> it's, it, it is so integral to how I move around on my computer that if I had to give that up permanently and use just an iPad, I mean, I would figure it out, but it'd be frustrating. Have you ever used the smart keyboard? I have, and I struggle with it because I... I'm one that tends to lean more towards like a mechanical keyboard versus mm-hmm. the really shallow ones. Uh, and so, yes, no, I it's not for me. If I could avoid it, I will. Yeah, I think that's a good case of different strokes, different folks kind of stuff because, man, it's my favorite keyboard I've ever used for the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, that little smart keyboard. Uh, I have written more on that than probably any other keyboard ever. Right. But that's actually been the funny annoyance of um, having a MacBook Pro again because I got the 15-inch, which for a long time I had had a 13-inch macbook pro right and this this new one especially has this massive trackpad which is just like half of the bottom of the entire macbook pro is dedicated to this giant giant trackpad and typing on it i always feel sort of limited because of the way that my hands rest on the the giant bottom section of the the macbook below the the actual keyboard and so i found myself a few times starting to write something on the macbook pro and actually like ah, I'll, I'll i'll do this later on the ipad or actually pulling the ipad out to do it so clearly this is a you know, what works for me doesn't work for everyone and what works for you doesn't work for everyone sort of situation. But yeah, I I get it. There's definitely solutions to have a keyboard on the iPad, but maybe none of them would work quite as well for you as the keyboard that comes attached. Right, right. And that's that's always my my hang up is because the iPad plus 
keyboard setup. I think I could maybe make that work in a in a heavy way, but it doesn't make sense to me from a mobility standpoint because at that point the iPad plus the keyboard is roughly the same size as the MacBook Pro. It's a little thinner, but overall size, it's not far off, at least to me. No, it's not. And weight doesn't really seem to be a, a matter there at all. And to me, I feel like I can get a lot more power out of my Mac than I can with the iPad. But again, you have to keep in mind I'm a developer, so code. <laughs> yeah, that, that's especially true if you don't like the smart keyboard and you end up going with one of these keyboard cases from someone like Logitech because it basically encases your iPad so that it's it's stuck to the keyboard. And at that point, you are looking at the exact same size as a MacBook. Yeah. And you're, you're giving up your adaptability of the iPad. It's no longer something that you can pull out of the keyboard. That's what I love about the smart keyboard. So yeah, I, I like it. Speaking of WWDC and Pro software. Did you pay attention to the Affinity photo demo? I ended up needing to, I ended up watching it in post, so I didn't watch it live. I ended up skimming through some bits, so I know that they did it, but I didn't pay super close attention to it. They sort of teased it maybe a year ago or or at least six months ago, and it was really great to finally see it in action and now to have it on my iPad, because it is a, a seriously pro piece of software. It is, in many ways, replicable of Photoshop, and in a few ways, in my opinion, better because of the way that it just dynamically is able to render stuff. You can use your pencil or, or just your fingers to make changes really quickly. Uh, it feels really smooth and intuitive. It's a lot of fun to use. So that single app existing makes me feel really confident in the future of iOS 11 and iPad Pro tools, but I, I wish that there was more. And I do wish that Apple would have put some weight behind it themselves as opposed to just farming it off to another company and saying, see, look at what these people are doing. But I mean, maybe that's their their stance is, look, we're building the hardware these days. We don't need to build the software. That doesn't seem to be the case for the Mac. It seems like they're still actively developing Logic and Final Cut, so I'm not sure what the disparity is there. Well, maybe that's an indicator that they use Mac over iPad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that, that's <laughs> totally true. And I have, I have a friend who has long been waiting for Xcode to exist for the iPad, and again, I don't believe he's holding his breath too much for that either. Right, right. But of course, you know, once those things, if and when those things start happening, that'll really signal a major change for creative really feeling like the iPad can be their full home. As it stands, I'm really glad to be primarily on the iPad. Um, but yeah, definitely in need of a MacBook for some of the, the heavy lifting. So with Affinity Pro and all of the work that you do with photography, did you go ahead and upgrade to the new iPad? Yeah, yeah. So I, I did. I actually didn't really anticipate that I'd be changing over to a new iPad. <laughs> This is why you shouldn't watch these live streams. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I really loved the 12.9 iPad when they announced the 9.7. Even with the, some really cool features like the True Tone, I didn't really have any any desire to to move over to that. And if they would have just announced the new 12.9 and a new 9.7 with the, the same bodies, I don't think I would have upgraded either because we're at a point where these are pretty powerful computers with pretty big batteries. Uh, there's nothing in a refresh that is like huge unless it's changing the, the, the form factor of the device. And that's what they did with the 10.5. They made that screen a little bit bigger and they made those bezels a little bit smaller. And at the end of the day, I was actually pretty interested in that trade-off. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about having a uh, a smaller screen because I've really loved that 12.9 inch screen. Right. But I mean, the difference between 10.5 and 12.9 isn't that significant, but the reduction in size of, of the iPad as a whole is drastically significant because as much as I love that 12.9, 
it can be cumbersome in situations. But man, it's a great little device. I know that they changed the display significantly such that the refresh rate on those is what, double now? Yeah, yes. They call it ProMotion. Okay. That's their that's their Apple spin on it. <laughs> yep, yep. Just like, you know, retina display and true. The true tone thing? True tone, yeah. That's the one that I was looking for. Right. But yeah, it, that's actually how that conversation on Twitter that I mentioned earlier started was because someone asked, is it awesome or really awesome? And um, <laughs> I had kind of assumed that for me, it would be a pretty minor change. I'm not typically the kind of person that really looks for these nuanced changes. Even the true tone, I hadn't really experienced that before. And I've noticed it on this new one. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. But with this change, it actually is pretty significant. I wouldn't go as far to say it's the same level of change that came when the iPhone introduced the retina display, but it's kind of up there in the sense that you didn't know that you didn't like the skipping that comes with a 60 hertz display until you didn't see it anymore. Yes. <laughs> and then once you go back to it, you feel kind of like, oh, that's that actually isn't that actually isn't too pleasant. So I was really impressed with that. And it, it's significant when you're doing something like using the Apple Pencil more than anything else to me, because there's not a the, the smallest amount of lag. It just displays whatever you're writing as if you were writing on a piece of paper. And see, that's that's where my question comes in, because the the one <laughs> the absolute one feature that I feel would lead me towards an iPad is being able to write on it and using my handwriting on it and being able to search that. Those two things I have been trying to find some way to do for about three and a half to four years now. And as much as, you know, everybody tells me, go use Evernote and you can take pictures of your stuff and they'll index it. Yes, but I hate Evernote. Yeah. Like, it's driving me crazy. So not going to use it. But whenever I saw the feature where you took the, the pencil and tapped the screen and you could instantly start writing on a note and couple that with that refresh rate and the no lag in the pencil, to me, those are what start to put the puzzle together for me where I might start getting into that. But I'm also having a hard time justifying that price tag simply for that because I could buy a lot of notebooks for that. <laughs> you sure could buy quite a few notebooks. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll speak to that because that's something that I do as well. One, one of the things that I really appreciated about the iPad Pro was the ability to write with the Apple Pencil because even though I usually start every morning writing, what I do is if I don't have any writing prompt in mind, it's hard for me sometimes to just start typing on a keyboard. There's something about it. If I have a, a blank page and a keyboard out and nothing to think through or nothing to write about, it's very challenging for me to get started. But if I have a pencil in my hand and I can just write anything, I actually find that that's much, much easier for me. So on mornings when I don't have anything to write about, but I'd still like to 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 write some thoughts, uh, I switch over from using a keyboard and I just write with the Apple Pencil. And it's, it's really amazing. I had a great experience writing on the iPad Pro 12.9 inches, and I'm having an even better experience writing with the uh, the 10.5 inch version, which is great. I thought that that might be a little too small for me, but it, it's just not, especially with the smaller bezel size. It feels like a notebook. I don't know what kind of notebook you usually tend to use. I'm typically on like the A5 size. So this this is even larger than that. It's it's more than enough screen size to write. There's a there's a great app called Good Notes. Oh yeah, I've heard this one. Yes, and it's it's definitely my favorite. I've used them all. Notability is another good one. Um, but the thing that Good Notes does that's really great. Well, one they have a really beautiful ink technology. I really like the way that it displays when you write. But two, they have the ability for you to kind of pop up this little zoomed in box where you can zoom into basically a single line on a notebook and make that line as big or as small as you want.
want and it'll take up the entirety of the bottom of the iPad. So basically you can have a line that takes up a quarter, a third, a half of the whole screen so you can write as large as you like. It does a really good job of allowing you to write at a size that feels more comfortable to you if you don't like writing so small on a screen. Right. I, I would love to hear your thoughts of writing on one because many people who write on one, they do it because they don't write too often, but you write often in notebooks. I write a lot. Yeah, you, you do it a lot. So for you to compare the feeling of writing on an iPad to the thing that you do naturally every day would be a pretty interesting uh, comparison, in my opinion. It's not for everyone. And that's the thing is, it seems like you've made it pretty clear. Look, the work that I do is on a Mac. When I want to think my own thoughts and I want to get some stuff out into the world, I use paper. And you, you seem pretty comfortable with those things. Yes. I don't know if an iPad Pro would end up bogging down the formula that works for you or if it would end up streamlining it. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, for me, I know it streamlines it um, because I'm just the kind of guy who there's that that fatigue that comes with having to know all your tools are with you at all times. And so if you say, okay, I need a Mac and an iPad and a notebook and a pen and my pencil, is that charged up? And all of those things, you know, it could start feeling really crazy. Yeah, and that's 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 where I tend to struggle with it because the dilemma that I've been trying to to nail down because I do a lot of things in just raw text files and I use editorial quite a bit. I just have a ton of notes in there. I use NVAlt on my computer to take any and all uh, notes that I need to have and then that syncs into editorial on my phone. So I like having that there because I can keep all kinds of databases about random bits of information there. But what I always feel like I want is one device that manages all of my written and typed bits of information, right. if that makes sense. So totally. I, I feel like I want the iPad to work out in that scenario because I could use that. I could write in it digitally. I could search my handwritten notes. Uh, I could make some uh, little annotations on pictures that I've drawn and be able to search for those. That's the bit that I would love to be able to do. But I also need to be able to find those bits of information in my text files. And that's where, you know, some of this handwriting right into the iPad would be very interesting. But to your point, that would potentially mean that I've now got a third tool that I need to carry around with me everywhere. Because right now, uh, what is it? What's the backpack I use? The Cocoon Gridit, I think is what it's called. And that one, it, it lets me slip in my MacBook Pro perfectly. It has a slot for an iPad, but I think it's the 9.7 inch that it's designed for. Uh, not a keyboard. You could not get it in there if you had a keyboard on it, for sure. Is, is the Gridit that thing I've seen before where it's like a, kind of an overlapping amount of... Little bungee straps. Yes. And this thing is amazing. <laughs> I love it. Because I keep all kinds of cords and adapters and stuff that I use on a very regular basis in there. You know, I, I've got the MacBook Pro, but I've got an adapter for the Thunderbolt into an Ethernet cable because so much of what I do from an IT standpoint requires me to take a hard line into, say, a network switch, which, you know, that's over most people's heads. But, you know, I've got need for those types of things. I've got to keep certain chargers and different cables around at all times. So I just keep all of that in that backpack permanently. And I just throw my MacBook in and I can take off and I know that I can do that. But yeah, it's it's two zippers. The back one gets you open to like the laptop sleeve. The front one, it folds completely open. Uh, it zips all the way down to the bottom of the bag. And it's just that grid of those bungee straps through the whole thing. It's awesome. That's pretty cool. My problem there is that I, one, I'm probably not going to get away from the backpack. But if I had to 
get away from it because I bought a different tool, I probably would. But I have such a slick system now that I, I struggle to add that third tool to it. Now, what I would love is maybe one of the listeners can help me figure this out, but I would love some system that lets me take my handwritten notes on paper, scan that, and be able to search it. You, you give me that one feature, and I'm happy. That's the one thing I've been pining for for a long time. You want to be able to scan handwritten notes? Yes. Don't we all? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can get the typewritten text. Like if, if someone hands me a piece of paper or something, they print it off. It drives them nuts because it's the first thing I do. I scan it and then I throw it away. It drives them crazy. <laughs> Especially when someone goes to the trouble of printing something off and then they hand it to me and say, here, this way you have it for your records. And the first thing I do is scan it and then I throw it away. <laughs> so you should have just emailed me the file. You're supposed to throw it away when they're not there, by the way. Yes. And I have learned this the hard way because <laughs> having worked corporate in the past, I got onto the train of writing things on paper, taking all my notes there scanning it and throwing the notes away. I got on that train uh, pretty early. And whenever I started doing that, I realized that I was taking pictures of those notes and then throwing them away while the meeting was wrapping up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's a good look. Yeah, it's one of two things. It's either impressive to them because they realize that you're caught up with the times or two, they think that you felt the meeting was so worthless that it wasn't even worth keeping your notes around and you just threw them away. Straight in the garbo. Yeah. So I have learned that if I take notes at meetings, (laughs) I will scan them when I get home. Yeah, much better impact on your, your work life, I would assume. To talk just a bit more about the 10.5-inch iPad Pro, it's pretty remarkable to me. I've, I've really enjoyed upgrading. I had kept my 12.9-inch version around just in case I didn't love the 10.5, but nope, I do love the 10.5, and I think that'll be getting sold wherever you sell technology these days. I actually don't know where you sell technology these days. It used to be Craigslist for me, but now I live in a smaller town that's a little bit more challenging, and uh, I was getting a, a whole lot of requests for me to send it to their military base very far away or their aunt who needs it in Wisconsin or something weird like that, so. Yeah, yeah, it's scams. <laughs> yeah, no, I I did not think they were real. <laughs> yeah, I was aware they were schemes. So. Just, just make it sure, Drew. <laughs> I've heard so many people talk over the years about how the iPad has been a failure. I can't imagine that it has been, especially looking at the amount of money that they pull in on iOS devices alone. I'm not sure exactly how well the iPad Pro line is doing, but for the amount of work that has gone in just for the iPad and iOS 11, I have to imagine that they're they're really confident in its future. And I hope that's the case because I'm going to keep buying them every time they come out with a new one. <laughs> well, they, and for a long time, people have just said that you consume content on them instead of creating content on them. Mm-hmm. And at least in my world, that's very true. You know, in the world of development, it will probably be that way for quite a while in my world. But in the realm of writers and artists, it seems like the tide on that might be turning. But I think you're right. I think it's hard to tell uh, for sure, especially when Apple is investing so much money in it. It's hard to know, are they doing that because they want it to be successful or are they doing it because it is successful and they're just putting more into it. It's hard to know the difference between those two. Yeah, on my on my dock now, there's uh, quite a few apps. They basically made it a Mac OS style dock where it's not limited to only a few apps. You can put as many as you want down at the bottom of the iPad. And now I have uh, Ulysses things and affinity down there and those programs along with all the stuff that Adobe's putting out they're they're pretty pro and um, there's actually a really good audio editing app that I'm going to give a try I can't remember the name of it right now 
I know that Jason has talked about it on Six Colors. Ferrite. I think that's how you say it. F-E-R-R-I-T-E. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And from what he was saying, it seemed like the people who are developing it really developed it with podcast editing in mind, um, along with a few other kind of post-production needs. Um, so I, I'd i like to give that a try. I think that because I'm running iOS 11 as a, on the developer beta. Of course you are. Programs like that. Yeah. I don't think that I'll be doing any actual like <laughs> crazy editing in them. Because uh, that seems like that could be a terrible, terrible problem to have. But yes, I'm excited about the potential of maybe seeing a few more of my processes that require a MacBook uh, switching over to the iPad as time goes on. Yeah, you have to report back on that because I'm interested in the whole iPad only realm. And it's not because I personally have an interest in it. It's because a lot of my clients seem to show an interest in it and I know more about it than they do. So I try to keep up on that. So Vitici is one that I follow heavily. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot of people are trying the iPad only thing and I don't know how successful they are with it. I think it really just depends on what it is you do for sure. I think that for people who really only use the computer for the the sort of main things that most people use it for, email, internet, all of that. And I don't mean that in a consumption way. I just mean literally a lot of people for work, that's really all that they need to do. They need to research stuff. They need to send emails out. They need to do the the normal things that most people do on the, the computer. There are definitely at this point more people who are using iOS to edit photos than Mac or, you know, professional professional devices. There's a reason why Visco is one of the most popular apps because people love editing in it. I love editing in it, maybe more than I do some of the more professional programs. But yeah, it really depends. It's becoming more and more clear that you could use an iPad if you wanted to. And for some people, I think that's better. In some of those cases, it's because they needed simpler. Um, my grandmother is actually a great example of someone who, as soon as the iPad existed, I like bought it for her as soon as I possibly could because... <laughs> <laughs> she's one of those people that she, she's actually very, very savvy. She's not at all a Luddite. She definitely uses technology way more than a lot of people do. But at the same time, she was pretty sure that Yahoo Mail was the internet. You know, like there wasn't really like a clear <laughs> distinction between what a browser was and what a website is. And it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to her, especially years ago. Um, I think that she's probably even more clear on it now. But the iPad just really removed so much friction between her and the things that she was trying to do. Because instead of having to open up Chrome and then type in the website and then log in and then figure out where her mail is and then send stuff back. Now she just opens the mail app. And those sorts of changes, even though they feel very simplistic, made a huge, huge, huge significant change um, for people like her. And then in the same way, I feel that way about different professional level creative tasks. I love the ability to immediately have a photo in my camera roll on my iPad and then pop it into Lightroom or any editing device and have it take up the whole screen. There's something significant about giving the full screen to a task that makes everything feel a lot more present. And that's really why I fell in love with the iPad years ago and why I still use it to this day. There's something special about being able to touch it. It really like is. That's, there's something unique about that because even, and you know, from a web developer standpoint, I've debated an iPad simply for testing purposes because a lot of times what I end up doing is building my website or building whatever functionality is that I'm working on. And then I like to pull it up on my phone and see what it feels like on that size of a screen. Because, you know, building something for a full laptop screen or even, you know, a 32-inch screen, that's easy. Like, it's really simple to do that, in my opinion, because it's 
it's a lot of real estate to work with. But when it comes to an iOS device or an Android device, the screens get so sm- so much smaller that people are touching it and interacting with it in a different way, which means I need to be specific on how do I space buttons and how do I make it intuitive so you know what that button does when you hit it. Like Simple things like that instantly have a different sense to them whenever you get to something as small as an iPhone. And it, it's special, I guess, in a way that whenever I'm building something, it, it's kind of fun to go touch it. <laughs> Instead of moving a mouse around and clicking it or or moving around with a keyboard and interacting with it in that way. It's just very different whenever you get to physically put your finger on it. Yeah, I think you're right. So you said that you saw WWDC late, but did you did you like it? Was there anything that stuck out to you as something that you'd be interested in seeing more of or using more of in the future? You know, not really. I mean, the only thing that really struck me was the the speed of the screens and the the writing on them. Like that's something I've been wanting to see them come out with and and fix for a long time. And to see that in place was pretty exciting. You know, honestly, the augmented reality thing, there's something there too, because we we don't really think about it, but I know a lot of times you look at vehicles or cars and, and different like window panes in your house, there's a lot of cases where I could see the the AR world starting to really take off. You know, it's it's interesting for me to watch that world because it's something that's really, it, it has a lot of potential, but no one seems to have figured out what to do with it yet. <laughs> like outside of gaming, there's not really been any, this is what you should do with this. And here's how to use it in the business world. Like there really isn't anything like that that I have run across. It, it, it's primarily stuck to the, the fun and, and enjoyment realm, the entertainment realm. So I, I think that was a very, uh, it was a very super user uh, demo that they did, I thought, uh, from a developer standpoint, like it really showed off a lot of power on the iPad. Um, I'm not sure how many people would walk around a table with an iPad Pro like that. Right. It, it's at least interesting to watch because I think it's one of the newer technologies that actually has a lot of potential if we could just figure out what to do with it. <laughs> did I uh, did I tell you that I had a HoloLens for a while? Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty bulky, crazy device. You put it on your head, it looks like a, a big old visor and it has two small screens that go in front of your eyes so that the majority of your field of vision is taken up by this AR screen. So uh, the screen allows you to see right through it uh, while at the same time displaying something on top of the world around you. And I had one of these little developer hollow lenses um, because I had some friends who are working on a, a really interesting app and they had grabbed one. And uh, there was a really cool world app. I think it was just called Hollow Tour. And basically what you would do is you would click this this button and then all of a sudden in the middle of your your room a giant globe would appear that had these little markers on it and the the great thing about the hololens is that it doesn't require controllers in your hand it just recognizes your hand gestures so you use your hands as the the controller you can have a little clicker um, but it's not even necessary you can basically like pinch your hand to to click nice which is kind of interesting which I think if you're gonna do AR you really have to do that like in the longer term aspect that's what you have to do I would totally agree and so you can kind of spin the little globe, click on a marker, and uh, let's say the marker says Rome, which one of them does. You click on it, and then all of a sudden, your world sort of fades out of view. And instead of seeing the room, you see this sort of shadowy area that has this easel in the middle of it with a painting of the Colosseum on it. And this person starts talking in your ear, because it has headphones basically built into this headset, and it kind of starts giving this little explanation of Rome and the history of it. And then it says, well, let's not just talk about it, let's go there. And then all 
of a sudden you're in the middle of this 360 video of uh, of Rome. And really interesting technology because even though it's not perfect, even though the video is just a loop, it really helps you feel the presence of a different place and having it sort of overlapping your world, not obscuring your vision entirely. But um, it's, it's a really weird thing. It's hard to describe seeing your room and also seeing a video of Rome, but it doesn't feel wrong. It actually feels right. And I think that it probably feels more right than virtual reality, which takes you out of your environment and makes you feel kind of freaked out, like I'm going to run into a coffee table. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And it was a super cool experience. It was really interesting. I just kept thinking, man, if I had this in history class when I was in high school, I really would have paid more attention. And I, I mean that sort of as a joke, but I also mean that very seriously. I think that these sort of augmented reality uh, technologies are going to have huge, huge, huge implications for stuff like classrooms, for learning, for um, feeling more connected to people in different places. Uh, there's some really cool stuff that's going to happen because of it. Uh, and that was like the clunky, crappy beta. So to see a company like Apple, who is so obsessed with perfection, take on the idea of something like augmented reality is really exciting to me. I think that we're only seeing the the very beginning of that. And there's a lot of potential for what it might, what it might look like. Yeah. And I want to know, like, I always think about, you know, with AR, what are the, what are the business uses you could have for it or, or, or even virtual reality, you know, between those two, what could you use it for? You know, from a virtual standpoint, I mean, you could put yourself in whatever working environment you want to be in. Like I work best when I'm on the beach in my swim trunks. Like, you know, if, if that's your best working scenario, you could put yourself there or you want to be in the Swiss Alps, like go put yourself there as well. Like you could do that. But from an augmented reality standpoint, it, it's a different game because you still have your current environment as a part of that. Right. And it, it gets tricky with that because what do you add to your environment that's not currently there that would allow you to either get work done or see something better? And the only thing I ever come up with is being able to visualize and see the products that you're working on without actually creating them. Like from a product development standpoint or even like auto manufacturers, you know, Tesla and GM and Ford, they could use this heavily to see what these things look like before they're actually in production. Like that I could see being a big deal. But the common man, (laughs) you know, what do we use it for day to day? I'm not going to use it from a web development standpoint. It's not going to help me there. But it's just something I like to ponder about it, but I never really have a full answer to it. (laughs) Yeah, I I know that there are a few interesting examples of AR stuff that's already being used. Uh, I believe Wayfair on maybe it's a Google phone has the ability for you to to use augmented reality to put some pieces of furniture uh, in your living room and kind of test out what it might look like. Just don't try to sit on them. Just don't don't sit on them, yeah, because they're they're only in your phone. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think uh, somebody like Home Depot might have one as well. So the ability for you to kind of test stuff out before it actually exists, I think is going to have a lot of really interesting use cases, even stuff like clothes. I could see that happening, just trying on a, a shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, retail stuff makes immediate sense to me. And I think that if this is something that gets perfected soon, it's going to have a, a huge impact on the retail space as a whole, because the only reason that I buy stuff IRL these days instead of on Amazon or whatever website is because I want to see it. I've been buying furniture for this new house and uh, there's been quite a few pieces where I've seen something on West Elm or Crate and Barrel and then I've hesitated on actually buying it because I don't know what it actually looks like in person. So I'll make the drive a few hours to the West Elm or to the CB2 to actually see it in person and make sure I actually like that. But with something like AR, I would no longer have to make that drive. So stuff like that is going to be immediately impactful. And I know there's a few companies 
companies that are already sort of expecting the internet and stuff like AR to have a, an impact on their business. You know, if you're talking about retail, if they have a way to create the objects that go into that easily. Like say you've got some deal where you take a phone and you walk around the object and you outline it. Like if you have some way to create those objects like that, holy cow, that could be that could be a game changer for retail shops because like to your point, I would love to take that, you know, even on my phone and just hold it up, see what it looks like in that space. That uh, that could be a game changer. That's something I haven't really thought about, but I could see a lot of value in that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, yeah, it's just going to be, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. And everything that we just talked about too, I mean, those were the tip of the iceberg as far as things go. And I'm talking about, oh, how nice it would be to not have to drive two hours. It's going to change things for people in developing nations like we can't even imagine. And that's so cool. You know, this is one of those things where we just saw the the very, very beginning of it to announce that they have AR kit was just to say that this thing is is coming. And I don't think that it's going to be something that you and I use on a daily basis for years. But it's the, it's the start. It's the start of it, for sure. Well, at least we say we won't use it for years until it's released and an app comes out that <laughs> changes how we do everything from day one. I think with WWDC, the pieces that really stood out to me was the new screens in the iPad AR kit, which I think has a lot of potential as we've been talking about. But outside of those two, I mean, the iMac Pro is kind of interesting, but I I don't really see that as something that's ever going to fit into my toolkit because I, I move around too much. So something that's stuck on my desk and doesn't move beyond that really doesn't fit my style super well. So it was one of those things like, this is cool. What's next? Like that, <laughs> that's, that's the way it went for me. Yeah. And then I take it you're not chomping at the bit to get a, a bundle of HomePods in your house? Nah, not really. We're not, we're not in that whole realm in any way. We don't have an Amazon Echo, the Google Home. We don't have any of that stuff and have no real interest in that. I still can't figure out why. Like, <laughs> so so many times I've got these tools and I'm like, okay, so why do I have this? Like, what's What does it help me do that I can't do in another way? And the thing that it can help me do, I want to make sure that it's something that I should be doing. So I've yet to be able to answer those in a positive way. So no, the HomePod is a, a, a not going to happen right now. Yeah, I have a Amazon Echo. I actually got a chance to review it for Tools and Toys way back. Oh, yes, I remember this. Yeah, and I think it's a great little product. I don't use it necessarily all of the time, but it, it's awesome to have in my house. I do the, the very, very standard stuff like check the weather or ask some strange question that I need the answer to quickly or set a timer. And then the, the thing that I really use it for more than anything else is just to play music. Uh, I'm not necessarily an audiophile. I never really, really care about the sound quality of a thing as long as it sounds pretty good. And the Echo speaker is pretty good. It sounds fine, especially when I have friends over and to say, uh, like, I can't really say it, can I? Because it's going to freak out. Hey, dingus. Yeah, hey, dingus. That's uh, definitely not the name that they chose for a reason. <laughs> hey, you Amazon device, play Spotify Discover Weekly. And all I have to say is those words, and then all of a sudden I'll have two hours of really good music playing in the background whenever I have company over or friends um, playing some games or eating some dinner. And uh, that's awesome. It actually was good enough for me to switch over from Apple Music to Spotify just to use it. Um, Spotify's Discover Weekly is really good, and its integration with the Echo is really good.
good. And those two things made me cancel my Apple Music subscription and uh, change over to the Echo. So for me, now that I'm kind of locked into Spotify, now I'm not super interested in the HomePod. But I am glad that they're in the space because this is one of those things that just really needs good competition. The Echo doesn't have a whole lot of incentive to get better. I know that Google Home exists as well, but again, I don't think that tons and tons of homes are being fooled with these little speakers. So the more people who are making them, the better off I think they're all going to get. And the AI, man, just has a lot of work out of it because it's definitely just so cumbersome. And I feel the same way about the Echo that I do with Siri. These are devices that really have like a three strike and you're out kind of policy before you stop <laughs> trusting them inherently. I, I, yeah. I really mean that. Like, I yeah. just think that every single time that these these things fail, you're less inclined to use them because you trust it less. So the whole purpose of it is to save you time. And if it's taking up too much time, then you're not going to ask it another question tomorrow. And the, the better these things get, the better off we're all going to be. Because right now, ugh, it is it is hard. I, I never find myself using Siri because I never trust it. And I never find myself doing complicated things with the Echo because I don't trust that either. But for the, for the simple stuff, it's great. Um, but again, it's one of those things where if you don't really see a need for it, then... Uh, it doesn't really have too much of a place in your home. Yeah, whenever I read your article about the the Amazon Echo on Tools and Toys, and that was the one article that had me considering the purchase of an Echo, and I ended up saying no, but it took me a lot of <laughs> mental power to, to contradict you, Drew. <laughs> yeah, and a- Amazon has really been setting it all up to be that kind of convenient, uh, why not buy it? device. They're priced just cheap enough and they're just simple enough to set up and they're just forgettable enough that you kind of impulse buy it and then you feel okay with having it in your house. Especially with these little dots and stuff. I think that I saw a while ago that they were like selling them in six packs, which is kind of ridiculous to me. I don't know if I need six dots around my house, but you know, these are the the echoes that are uh, limited by not having the full speaker. So they look like little hockey pucks instead of big obelisks. And uh, you could just hook it up to any speaker of your choosing. And, um, you know, that thing is is so cheap that if if you're at all interested, you kind of find yourself on that page and then you find yourself buying it and then you find yourself setting it up without really thinking too hard about it. But the HomePod is a different beast entirely. They're setting it up to be a little higher priced, a little more premium, a little more focused around the music experience and the audiophile nature, which definitely fits Apple. This is a product that's in line with Steve Jobs' vision of just loving music and loving playing music and it's a it's a different category I think even though it's in the same in the same space yeah I'm not one that uses Siri a lot but it's it's a thing that I I bring up on occasion frankly I use it to dictate more than anything uh it's like okay well I'm moving and I can't be watching my phone at the moment whether I'm and I don't really do it when I'm driving but even if I'm just walking from a parking lot to a building like I find myself dictating messages that way as opposed to typing them just because I don't trust cars around me (laughs) so I I tend to use it for that more than anything but Outside of that, I just don't use it a lot. You know, oddly enough, my father-in-law has, he has an Android and he uses the Google thing quite a bit on that. He's always searching for things on it. Um, but I, he's not, he's not a power user by any means. And he, he quite frequently says, it's just faster. It's, I can find what I want and it's just faster. It's like, yes, I understand that. But he's not, he, he can't search with his fingers as fast as I can. It, it takes him a while to type something in or to know how to search for something. So it, it's always interesting whenever someone has something they want to know, like he'll start searching for it on his phone and I'll start searching it on mine and very rarely does he beat me at that even though he's doing the voice 
thing. So I don't know. I think they've got some work to do on them yet. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a funny example. Um, there are probably a lot of people that really rely on Siri a lot for just very casual stuff, and they don't really care how well it works because they just don't really like technology to begin with. So the fact that technology yeah. <laughs> is rebelling against them is just par for the course. Right, right. Where for you and I, I think it's like, no, 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 this didn't work. And that upsets me greatly. Yes. Where everyone else is kind of like, oh, that didn't work. Yep, just like normal. <laughs> My wife had a great experience that I've always thought about with Siri. Um, about a year ago, she was in like a nail salon. And there was this woman in there, I think who was about to get her hair done or something. And she kept like whispering to Siri these like Google searches. <laughs> Brittany Murphy hairstyle <laughs> and then she'd like she'd hear nothing for a little bit then she'd hear like this screenshot noise to uh to like take these pictures and save them for later but she just kept kind of whispering and it almost sounded conspiratorial and i think that people like that who just don't really care how they sound in public don't really care how technology works for them just sort of go about their every day they probably actually found siri to be a pretty beneficial tool um but yeah it's it's definitely got some got some room to grow and i think you you made a, an interesting point kind of in passing there it's like before you start using it in public like I, that's always struck me as kind of odd. Oh, totally. Like even dictating into it whenever I'm headed into a store or something still feels a little strange to me, and I won't do it if it's something sensitive in any way. The one area, now that you say this, whenever I am writing blog posts regularly, which is still not recent. <laughs> I'm going to get on you later. Okay. Whenever, whenever I'm doing that, that's something I do quite a bit is just asking Siri for another word for something because it's, it's easy to just pull up a definition. Like that is super simple and I can get uh, synonyms for the word that I'm using because I don't want to use the same word twice close to each other, like that sort of thing. I, I tend to use it for that, but that's whenever, you know, it's it's 5.45 a.m. The house is dead silent. There's no one around. Like they're not going to hear what I'm doing in any way. So I'm fine with that. Uh, but I I would never do that if I was writing, say, at the church. You know, if if they've got a bunch of things going on and I was writing something, I would never do it that way. I would instantly pull up thesaurus.com and do it that way. <laughs> I would not use Siri in that case. Have you ever seen, um, I think it was in the late 80s, that video that Apple made about, like, the future of computing? Um, if you haven't seen it, I'll have to show it to you sometime. The Big Brother thing? Oh, no, 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 no. Not that one. Not 1984. Yeah. No, they, they made this, I think it was called Future Vision or something weird like that but there's this video online i'll show it to you after we record that uh that kind of is their version of hey this is what the future is going to look like and it's this really interesting video that basically has their idea of what siri might be like um basically a virtual assistant inside of this big touchscreen computer it's really wild it's a, it's a funny video to look at and see that in the late 80s they had this pretty pitch perfect idea of where things were going <laughs> but it, it's it's as if your weird tablet touchscreen thing ran like mac os 7 <laughs> it's like this really <laughs> old looking uh operating system on this really futuristic looking device but I say that because I think that there's this weird feeling that these these virtual assistants are supposed to be used in this really like classical assistant kind of way. I guess what I mean is it makes sense for you to to walk into your home and say, "Jeeves, turn on the lights," and "Where's what's my schedule like tomorrow?" and ask these really like general 
everyday questions, but we're still not there where I can't really ask Siri what my schedule is unless I have this very rigorous schedule that I'm creating. And I can't ask Siri to check my emails or do these different things. And because I can't ask normal assistant questions, I don't really want to ask any questions because unless I'm doing something like checking the weather, I'm not certain if Siri can answer or not, which means that I'm not going to not gonna try. Uh, and I think we have to get past that. And once we get past that, it's going to be a whole different ballgame. But until we do, we're just not going to end up using it too often. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, the assistant things that I would want it to do is filter out some of my email for me. Like, okay, I get these six questions on a regular basis. Can you respond to those for me in the way that I would normally do that? I'll even give you the form letter to do it. Like, those sorts of things, that's what I would want that assistant to do. Almost like uh, uh, the virtual assistant as opposed to digital assistant. Uh, The whole virtual realm of having somebody do your things for you or work with you on things. Uh, I I could see a lot of value if they could get these digital assistants to get close to that. But that's a long way down the road like that's pretty significant from an AI standpoint and those are the things I would want it to do like schedule a meeting with this person (laughs) okay I don't want to do the rigmarole back and forth trying to get a time and date and everything with somebody that I just met right I would rather have the assistant do it but Siri or you know the Google or the Echo like none of that is anywhere close to that and I don't know that it's ever fully going to get to that point without an actual person behind it because I think that's going to be a little bit nebulous for a computer. I mean, it's we have a long ways to go from an AI standpoint to get anywhere close to that. That's what I'm getting at. Did you ever see the movie Her? Uh, no. Should I? Well, maybe not. I don't know your taste in movies, but it's a pretty strange movie. Okay. It's Spike Jones, uh, Joaquin Phoenix plays a character. Uh, it's set in the, the semi-near future uh, where everybody basically has these pretty great phones that are able to to do a lot of assistant-like things. The whole movie, it centers around the concept that he gets an update and the new assistant technology is so powerful that he actually falls in love with it. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's why I'm saying uh, your, your feelings of the movie may vary from the, my feelings. It's, it's a great movie. I absolutely love it. But the first 10 minutes are basically just uh, getting you into the world and letting you understand what it's like. And uh, everyone's wearing these little, these little earpieces that allow them to control their entire computer operating system from, with, with voice commands. And so he's sitting there, check my email, and she says, okay, here's the ones that are important. And she starts listing off the subject line. He says, skip you know it's it's very very well done of understanding what it might look like soon when predictive technology will allow you to actually have an assistant that can kind of guess what you're trying to get accomplished and and help you accomplish it and and i actually i think you don't have airpods do you i don't i'm afraid i would lose them (laughs) okay if you keep them in the case and you keep them gridded and you're gridded then you'll never lose them but in any case they're great headphones and when i first saw them announced the first thing i thought about was her because to have a, a little headpiece that takes up almost no space, almost no room on your head, doesn't feel very obtrusive, doesn't have some crazy battery restriction, and allows you to talk to Siri, that is an interesting proposition. Because instead of me having to pull out my phone, open up the Siri screen, start talking into my phone, to be able to tap on my ear and ask Siri a question and have her respond immediately, now we're getting somewhere. But as of right now, with the state of Siri, it just isn't tenable. But I'm, I'm really hopeful. That's actually the thing that I was most disappointed at at WWDC. A few people had started thinking that we would see some major Siri updates this year, and we just didn't. Siri was really not talked about at all. Even in the HomePod, she wasn't really discussed. It wasn't talked about as an Echo-like device that you can talk to Siri in your home. It was talked about as a uh, a music-playing device. So 
I don't know if that means that they have some stuff they're really working on that they're excited to show us soon, or if that just means that they are they are a bit stuck when it comes to Siri. I hope it's the former. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the latter. But yeah, we got some we got some space to go before we're back in the 1980s where Apple predicted that we'd be by this point. 